Okay, this is the last review in a series of reviews, review number four, on a, a Bible tract entitled, What Did Vatican II Really Change? This is a series of Bible tracts that were written. Uh, they were an expose of the Roman Catholic Church known as the Catholic Chronicles. And these were published all the way back in the year 1981 uh, by a man by the name of Keith Green. And Keith was killed in a plane crash, uh, I believe it was in 1982, so shortly thereafter. So uh, I have this tract in my hand. Uh, I'm reading it. I'll give you the high points. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, you'll get the gist of what I'm trying to say here to you and, and actually what he's trying to say. And um, very good series of tracks. There is no question in my mind ladies and gentlemen, that these tracts were written for such a time as this. This is a prophetic word that came forth through this series of tracts known as the Catholic Chronicles. Absolutely. And um, they're no longer in print. I'm doing this review, so you'll get the main uh, points as you take a look at these uh, video reviews of the tracks. That's uh, exactly why I'm doing them. I want you to know what the real deal is on the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Keith begins, he says, the Roman Catholic Church is very proud of two distinct things. Number one, that it has never changed, and number two, that it has changed very much. I realize that number two seems to contradict number one, but anyone who has studied church history, even briefly, will be able to grasp what I am trying to say. First, Rome is very emphatic about making clear these unalterable facts. Listen carefully. Number one, Rome claims that she is the original and only church founded by Jesus Christ. Number two, that her head, the Pope, has apostolic succession handed down by the first Pope, Peter. Number three, her traditions and interpretation of Scripture are the only basis for forming rules and guidelines that Christians everywhere should live by. Her dogmas, this is number four, her dogmas and doctrines are canon Lord, don't you ever forget what you just heard, folks. That is what Rome believes today. That is what Rome teaches today. And you must understand this, folks, as you see what is taking place in the land. We're on the brink, folks, of uh, a visit to the United States next week, I believe it is, uh, from Rome. He's going to be first going to Cuba and then he will be coming to the United States, going to Philadelphia, going to New York City. And um, you, you're going to see some things, folks, which we've seen before. You know, you're going to see politicians, a religious figures um, cozying up to the Pope. Uh, I call them puppets. I'm sorry. I, got, I, I have to uh, speak what's on my heart like puppets. And folks, what, what, what has become known as the, as the evangelical church today, basically they, they've been swallowed up by one of the biggest lies that has ever come forth, folks. And joining in unity with this religious system uh, called Rome, uh, Roman Catholicism, folks, that she's the original and only church. Her head is the Pope. And that's why I do these um, these teachings, you know, I've been uh, doing videos for many, many years, uh, 
most of the teachings are on the Roman Catholic system. I also come against other false religious systems, but this is the this is the main thing, folks. I speak to you as a former Roman Catholic, so uh, that's what Keith is uh, bringing forth in his track. He wants to make a point, uh, which he's been doing very well in in the first uh, three Catholic Chronicle tracks. So. Keith goes on to say, he says, on the other hand, modern Roman Catholics are immensely pleased with the reforms and evolution they have seen in their church, especially since the cataclysmic Second Vatican Council, more commonly known as Vatican II. They point to how much has been done to open the way for all Christians everywhere to finally come together. This, of course, does seem very exciting, especially since Rome has been largely on the defensive since the Reformation. Starting with the Council of Trent in 1546, there's been one papal decree after another, which has completely made it impossible, even forbidden, for Catholics to have any fellowship with Protestants. He goes on to say, ah, but time heals all wounds, they say. And like everything else, the giant chasm between Protestant and Catholic now seems with the passing of centuries to appear just like just a little misunderstanding. And Vatican II, which included such sweeping reforms as allowing Mass to be said in the common local language and no longer forbidding Catholics to read a Protestant Bible or attend the Protestant church service, seemed to make the difference, differences between Rome and the rest of the fragmented Christian world look very pretty. So, so there he goes, uh, you know, that, that, that old uh, uh, saying, time heals all, all wounds, and that's what seems to be uh, being pushed, ladies and gentlemen. But you must understand that the Roman Catholic Church has not changed one solitary doctrine. That's the truth. Let me read it. Keith goes on to say, as you probably might guess, I do not believe this to be the case. In fact, in my research and studies, I have only found the opposite to be true. Yes, indeed, the Catholic Church is changing. It has probably never changed so much in all its history as during the past generation. But it has not changed one single solitary doctrine. Each and every point of dogma that has alarmed evangelical theologians for the past 400 years remains the same, exactly as written and in full force. My, oh my folks, that is something you need to remember. The Roman Catholic Church is not changing. They have not changed one solitary doctrine, folks. And yet, what has changed? What has changed is the attitude. This is my, uh, my speaking. This isn't what Keith wrote. It's the attitude of the evangelicals toward this apostate church, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Keith goes on to say, but because of all the changed garments, all the reformed liturgies and ceremonies, and the resultant freedom of worship, Catholics everywhere, as well as many Protestants, have mistakenly believed that something substantial has really changed. 
But this is not a surprise. It has happened many times in history. When you change the key, the instruments, or the rhythm of the song, almost everyone will believe you have a new song. Only those who listen carefully to the lyrics or who know their music well will realize that yes, the style is different, but the song is the same. It's the same old song, folks. In fact, it was a, um, there used to be a song that used to have a lyric just like that. It's the same old song. Folks, it's the same old song. Rome has not changed, okay? The, the outward little uh, changes, they're superficial. The Roman Catholic Church is the same Roman Catholic Church doctrine-wise, teaching-wise, that put reformers to death, listen, by the millions. That's right. They have not changed. And I'm telling you this today, folks, for a reason. Because what is coming to this country and what is coming to this world, and I believe in the near future, it's going to shake you, folks. And, and, and uh, because many of your pastors and leaders and teachers uh, are remaining silent, they may, they may not be amongst those that go over and uh, join hands with the Pope physically or what have you. But, but it's their silence. You see, it's their silence that, um, to me, is just as bad. Absolutely. So, Keith goes on to say, The whole thing seems so sad to me when I realize how very few there are among Catholics and Protestants who really know what Roman Catholicism teaches. It is truly shocking. And what's even more alarming is the potential for the devil to pull the wool over people's eyes because of their ignorance. Keith goes on to say, I have received many letters from Catholics in response to the first three chronicles, which have basically said this, the Catholic Church has really changed. Why not use the current beliefs and teachings that are a result of Vatican II? Believe me, in each of my articles, I was doing just that. I would be a fool to be refuting doctrines and teachings that are no longer being used. But because Catholic worship is based so much on ritual, ceremony, and symbolic outward forms, the average Catholic believes with all his heart that when he sees these surface things altered, that his church has really changed. You have only to look at the documents of Vatican II to see that this is not the case. So, so Keith, I like the way Keith um, puts that. He, he writes these chronicles, and after the first three chronicles, he was getting letters from uh, Roman Catholic people and saying, no, the church has really changed. Why don't you uh, speak about the changes since Vatican II? And what Keith was saying, he says, look, that's exactly what I've been doing. Keith was pre uh, preaching to them the very things that uh, Rome was doing. So he was coming against that and saying, no, this is what they believe today. And that's why I'm doing this, folks. I want you to know these things, that the Vatican uh, Council, the Second Vatican Council, changed nothing. Just surface changes. The doctrine remains the same. They still believe in the sacrifice of the Mass. Absolutely that it satisfies the justice of God for sins committed against Him. They still pray to Mary. They still believe she's a mediator. And I could go on and on. They still have confession to a man known as the priest, who they also call father, 
as well as the Pope who they call Father. The Bible makes it clear, call no man Father, right from the mouth of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about doctrines of devils. I mean, folks, it is so plain and clear. And that's why I uh, alert you to these uh, truths here today, folks. You need to know this. I am a former Roman Catholic who came out of that system. And, and this does not surprise me. You know, when I would speak to certain Catholics, they would say, oh, you were never really a, a real true Catholic. It, it's incredible, uh, the stuff that you will hear. So Keith goes on to talk about, they see now they, uh, the need for Vatican II. So in the early 1960s, this is Keith speaking in his tract, in the early 1960s, the Vatican knew there was a need to give the church a facelift. Many of its policies seemed out of place, and most of its forms of worship were stiff and outdated. There was a feeling among the bishops that the church needed to evolve with the times, and there was a growing concern that if other Christians in the world were ever going to reunite with Rome, that she was going to have to give herself a more pleasant and appealing appearance. There was also criticism from her own ranks that her doctrines needed to be clarified and restated in a more simple and less dogmatic tone than previous councils had done. Thus, the Second Vatican Council was called by Pope John the 23rd in 1962 and continued under Pope Paul VI until 1965 when it issued the documents of Vatican II, each on different aspects of church teaching and doctrine. They were full of scriptural uh, references and did not include any blatant curses on those who did not agree as previous councils had done. They were revolutionary in freeing the individual parish priests to conduct masses in the way they best could reach the local culture and community. This as well as changes in church administration and religious freedom were the main results of the council. So very interesting things. I like the, the research that this man, Keith Green, did. Uh, very good. I mean, this is pastor material. This is, this is stuff that should be uh, taught in, in, in uh, churches, in seminaries. Uh, this is what people need to know, folks. Uh, all all uh, Bible students, they need to know the truth about Rome. And this is what this man did in his series of uh, tracts known as the Catholic Chronicles. Uh, then uh, Keith goes on to bring out uh, what happened, the charismatic movement. This is good, folks. Pay attention. Keith says, and then came the charismatic renewal seemingly out of nowhere. With the Pope's blessing, Catholics were taking part in charismatic masses, speaking in tongues, prophesying, singing, shouting side by side with evangelical Protestants. Everyone was so excited, they thought, now we have the devil licked. Why, doctrine wasn't important anymore. That was for seminary students and old stuffy theologians. But as the excitement started to quiet down a little, the Protestants noticed that a few of their Catholic brothers and sisters were still praying to Mary. And they were even offering up prayers for their dead relatives in the prayer Meetings. Let me repeat that last little part there. It says, but as the excitement started to quiet down a little, 
the Protestants noticed that a few of their Catholic brothers and sisters were still praying to Mary and were even offering up prayers for their dead relatives in the prayer meetings. It's interesting. Keith goes on to say, it soon became apparent that unity was not going to be as easy as it had seemed at first. Protestants began to make inquiries and they started bothering their Catholic friends too much with questions like, do you think the Pope is saved? As you can see, the whole future of the ecumenical movement hinges on this all-important question. Can a Roman Catholic be considered a genuine believer according to the Bible and still believe the things the Roman Church teaches? Now, this is good stuff, folks. The charismatic renewal, also known as the charismatic movement, okay? This is where um, uh, the Roman Catholic people, they, they, they would start worshiping. It almost sounded uh, the same as Pentecostal worship. Uh, very charismatic. Uh, I know. I was in the charismatic movement uh, right before I came out of the Catholic Church. I experienced this charismatic movement. I joined uh, a prayer group of charismatic Roman Catholic people. And I know what this is about. I mean, uh, I, I know during the time that I was in a charismatic movement, the uh, visitation or apparition or appearance of Mary over in Medjugorje was very popular, very popular during that time. And, I, and to this day, I believe it's still going on, okay? Uh, many, many years, I, I remember the, the apparition would appear regularly on the 25th of the month to some what you would call visionaries. And she would be, uh, bring forth a message, okay? The messages from Medjugorje, the messages from Our Lady is what they would call uh, what, what the, uh, the messages that came forth. That's what they were known as. And they were basically brief messages and uh, we, we were into that, you know, we were even evangelizing. He ended our little uh, tracks from some of these different organizations that supported that uh, whole thing. And most of the people uh, in these Roman Catholic prayer groups, these charismatic prayer groups, were into it. Uh, several of them that we met during that time had made the trip over to Medjugorje. And we had long conversations. We were intrigued by this stuff, by the way. And they would tell us stories of how their rosary beads, uh, the chain in between the beads, they say when they went there, the, um, the beads were silver and that it changed to a gold color. And we were like, whoa, this is unbelievable stuff. Wow. And they started telling us different things. And they say when they looked up toward the sun, they saw a spinning, I think a spinning sun, all these beautiful rainbow colors. And I'm like, whoa, this is unbelievable, you know? And uh, I was heavy duty into this stuff, folks. During that time is when I wanted to I wanted to build my own altar. I mean, this was exciting stuff to me. I was, I got, put it this way, I got more involved in Mary worship during that time in the charismatic movement or renewal, if you would call it that, than ever before. So I, you know, I wanted, I wanted my own little private altar. You know, I wanted to put it upstairs in, in, in the attic and I wanted to get my own little statue. So I went out to a, uh, a local mall on Long Island, Roseville Field Mall, a uh, very big mall. 
had started looking at the different statues and um, I realized I couldn't afford them, you know, even, even the ones without the colors. They had basic white and then they had the blue, uh, which were nicer looking. And um, I, I just put it off. I guess maybe I figured I'll put it off until I can uh, get the money together to buy, to buy one. And I wanted my own little private thing. I was praying to Mary, praying my Hail Marys, praying my rosary. And it uh, wasn't too long after that that I was truly saved. You know, during that time in that uh, charismatic uh, renewal, the charismatic movement, my, my wife, Kathy, she was going, she was all set to be installed as a Eucharistic minister. And that means you could take what is known as the host or the Eucharist after, uh, after it's been consecrated at the Mass Transubstantiation. And now you carry it around in this little, uh, like a little brass thing. And you can now distribute communion uh, the Eucharist to people who are in, uh, say, nursing homes or what, what have you. So uh, it turns out on the day that she was supposed to be installed, she got sick. And then obviously later on we realized that was the mercy of God that prevented her from being installed. And um, it wasn't long after that that we were born again of the Spirit. We, we left the church. In fact, we used to go to... Um, we used to go to Mass, and then we used to go to church in a different church, Pentecostal church. Long story short, we got saved. But, you know, during the course of attending a certain church in New York City, uh, one particular Sunday we, we met a woman um, who uh, was involved with some ladies, and she was asking us different questions. Uh, they were Roman Catholic charismatics. I re remember we had a conversation with her. And um, I, I, we, we uh, met her again a year later. And it's funny, in the same exact place in the lobby of this large church. And she went on to say, she says, oh, I'm in a prayer group now and I'm in a charismatic. I'm, I'm praying uh, with the Roman Catholic charismatic uh, Catholics. And I remember I told her, I said, you know, be careful, sister. I says, they'll have you praying the rosary before long. And, and the, woman, the woman said to me, she says, I feel sick. She says, they already have me praying the rosary. And I, I bring that out, folks, uh, to, to make the point here. You know, the Bible warns us about seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, the devils. The, the Bible warns us that in a lot of times people will not endure sound doctrines, folks. And, and, and what, what, what's taking place in the land, people are being seduced by doctrines of devils. I'm telling you, folks, you need to be aware. You need to know the Word of God for yourself. You need to dig into the Word of God for yourself. Jesus said you would know the truth, and the truth would make you free. And it was the Word of God that saved my soul. I saw the contradiction between those Marian messages from Medjugorje. I would compare those messages with the Word of God, and that is what brought me out. Now, to be honest with you, you know, Kathy, the Lord ministered to her first out of the Word of God. And she started writing out, uh, actually typing out the different scriptures. And she had four different pages. And she said, you know what we're into? This can't be God because the Bible says this. And this is what those messages are saying. But you know something? I resisted her. 
I, I wouldn't listen to her. You know, we had people, we would order videos from these uh, Marian movement types of things about Medjugorje and what have you. We would have people over our home, but we were doing this all about this Mary stuff, folks. And then, then what happened, you know, after maybe several weeks, I, I, you know, Kathy was literally crying. She says, please listen to me, listen to me. And, and something in me inside my heart just said, listen. And I said, um, okay. I says, you know, I'll, I will pray about this. And that's what I did. And the Lord opened my eyes, folks. You know, that's the choice. Uh, the person has to make. This is the choice. This is the ultimate choice you will have to make as a Christian. Either you're going to stand upon the Word of God or you're not. And if God's Word says one thing and the teachings from something else are in opposition, uh, diametrically opposed to what God's Word says, then you, you have a choice to make either God's Word or the fool's teaching. I chose God's Word, folks. Hear me now. The truth set me free. The Bible became alive to me. I knew that Jesus Christ was who he said he was before. I knew the Jesus, but it was only on the paper, folks. I was born again of the Spirit. I knew that Jesus Christ was real. I knew that he died for my sins. He brought me forth. He saved my soul. Brought me out of darkness. A humbling moment. I felt the peace of God in my heart, folks. This is real. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. That's what, that's what takes place, folks. I'm repenting. For, I'm turning away, away from the false and I'm going to the truth. That's what happened. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he's kept me all of this time. That was all the way back in 1989. This is serious stuff, folks. And it's very difficult in this modern day. Uh, even pastors that should know better, they, they turn a deaf ear to what I'm saying here today. And the Lord keeps telling me, go forward, don't stop. And that's what I'm doing, folks. So um, let's get back to Keith's track here, okay? Very important that I uh, gave you that input regarding the charismatic movement of the Catholic Church. Something you need to remember, charismatic Catholics are still Roman Catholics. They still attend Mass still pray the rosary, most of them, and if they don't, that, that doesn't make any difference. They're still attending a Roman Catholic Mass that is called the Sacrifice of the Mass. And we can get into the whole thing about the added books, the extra books uh, that are found in the Catholic Bible. You know, I won't get too much into that here because I could really go on for hours. But here, in this next part, it, it's entitled, A Scholar Looks at Vatican II. And uh, the name of uh, the scholar is Lorraine Boatner. It's a man. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it correct. Lorraine Boatner or Botner. And the name of the book is Roman Catholicism. And, you know, it's in in interesting. Uh, Brother Keith is quoting here from that book, the fifth edition. And that was one of the very first books that I got after I was saved. I mean, I could not put the Bible down. I inhaled the, the, the Bible, folks, the scriptures. I, I would go to uh, Christian bookstores, which I never even knew about because I had no desire, I guess. I didn't even know they existed, to be honest with you. So now I'm going to Christian bookstores and buying up everything in sight. 
Uh, very, very interesting. But this was a, I still have this book, by the way. In fact, if I get a picture of it, I'll put it up there for you to see. Still own this book. It's all marked up. And, and this, this is a great book, by the way. This man hit the nail on the head with this organization, and yet people will even come against this man, folks. We're living in a day, folks. Hear me now. You pray before you read a book. You pray as you even listen to me today. You pray. Say, Lord, I want the truth no matter what. And you watch what God does. So here he quotes. Now, this is this man, Lorraine Botner or Boatner. He said the Second Vatican Council, which closed late in 1965, made changes in the liturgy, administrative practices, and in the matter of religious freedom. It repeated the claim that the Roman Catholic Church is the only true church, although it did recognize that other churches contain some elements of truth. But Pope John XXIII, who called the first session, and Pope Paul VI, who presided over the later sessions, as well as several prominent cardinals and theologians, took care to emphasize that no changes would be made in the doctrinal structure of the church, however, Pope Paul did promulgate or declare one new doctrine which asserts that Mary is the mother of the church. On previous occasions, Rome has changed her tactics when old methods became ineffective, but she has never changed her nature. In any religious organization, doctrine is the most basic and important part of its structure, since what people believe determines what they do. An official document, the Constitution on the Church, prepared by the Council and approved by the Pope, reaffirms basic Catholic doctrine precisely as it stood before the Council met. The doctrine of papal infallibility is restated. We are told that when by a definitive act he proclaims a doctrine of faith and morals, his definitions of themselves and not by consent of the church are justly called irreformable. It's found in Article 25. The Pope has lost none of his powers. He remains the absolute ruler in the Roman Church. But if papal decrees past and present are irreformable, what hope is there for real reform in the Church of Rome? Very well put by that uh, scholar, Mr. Botner. Excellent way of putting it. Folks, see, he made the point, look, they, they declare that they're irreformable, that the Pope is in charge, folks. And this man, now think about it. Think about the Catholic Pope, when people from all over the world, you got presidents, leaders, and whatever the leaders might be called, kings, are at his beck and call. From all over the world, he snaps his finger. People beg to have an audience with this man. He speaks to upwards of a million people at a shot, ladies and gentlemen. You could even see him over there uh, in St. Peter's Square. The place is a mob scene, especially during the Roman Catholic holy days, the, the holy days of obligation. Folks, there is a spirit that is behind this whole thing, and I'm here to tell you today, it is not the Holy Spirit. Now think about this coming trip of Pope Francis, Jorge Bergoglio, is his real name, coming into the United States. He'll be going to 
the main trip is over to Philadelphia. I've read in the papers that all road construction will be stopped in that area for this man. For a man. All construction. When he goes to New York, they say it is unprecedented, the security that is needed for this man when he comes riding in to town, folks. It's incredible. I saw a picture in the newspaper. There's a building in New York City, a very large building. There's an image of Pope Francis that takes up numerous floors, uh, most of the side of this particular building. All this for a man. All this. People are under a spell, folks. They are clearly deceived. When he's in Rome, this man has the Swiss guard at his uh, protection. Uh, recently, uh, he, I read, he, he told the Swiss guard during their free time that they should pray the rosary, make sure they pray the rosary. Uh, it's incredible, folks. It's important that you know that this pope and all previous popes, they're politicians. I'm telling you, folks, this man is going now to another country over to Cuba. He's going to speak to Congress, and I believe he's speaking to the United Nations. Politicians, religious people, they're going to bow their knee to this pope. You, he's going to walk into this town like he owns it, New York City, Philadelphia. He's going to walk into the United States like he owns it. Folks, that's why the popes, a lot of times you see them get off the plane. What's the first thing? Uh, you see them do. You know what I'm going to say. They kiss the ground. Basically, I heard they're claiming uh, that, that ground for themselves, folks. Beware. And, and you can throw this out and say, oh, we've been hearing this stuff for years. You watch. <laughs> you watch, folks, and you're going to see what is coming. One of the speakers at the meeting in Philly, at the request of Pope Francis, will be the well-known Pastor Rick Warren. That's the man who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And that man is heavily involved in his counterfeit unity, folks. Rick Warren has referred to Pope Francis as, quote, our Pope. End of quote. Our Pope. Can you believe this? He's calling Pope Francis our Pope. What does this have to do with Jesus Christ? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, Jesus, uh, he's the one you need to listen to, folks. He warned about things such as this, people such as this. In Luke 20, verses 46 and 47, he said, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a show, Make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. Jesus said this, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. That's Matthew 23, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said, Call no man your father upon the earth. This man marches, marches around to every country he visits. He's known as the Holy Father. He's addressed as His Holiness. My, oh my, I cringe when I hear those words, folks. No man is holy outside of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory there and none righteous. Any person who's been truly born again of the Spirit knows that they deserve nothing but the lowest part of hell. And I'll speak for myself. 
Folks, if it was not for the blood of Jesus Christ, if it was not for the final perfect sacrifice upon the cross, I would be in hell when I die. That's correct. I deserve it without question. Without question. The Bible makes that clear. There are none righteous. No flesh, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, folks. That's something you need to know. Jesus gave a command. That's right, he gave a command. You know what the command is, ladies and gentlemen? You must be born again. He said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Folks, if you are not born again, you're still dead in your sins. When I was a Roman Catholic, I went to church. I did all of these things, but I was dead and lost in my sins. If I would have died before coming to Christ in 1989, I would have died and gone on to hell. That's correct, without question. Back to the track now. We're going to look at some dates. You know, uh, Brother Keith has um, some dates listed here of the different teachings of Rome. And, uh, you know, th these uh, dates that he gives, they're, they're approximate. So, um, you know, if it's off by, you know, th this goes way back. But these are approximate dates, so take it for what it is. In 300 AD, prayers for the dead, that's when that came about. Uh, 375 A.D., veneration of angels, dead saints, use of images. 394 A.D., the Mass's celebration adopted. 431 A.D., beginning of exaltation of Mary, first use of the term Mother of God by the Council of Ephesus. 500, priests begin to dress different from laity. 526, extreme unction. 593 A.D., the doctrine of purgatory, first established by Gregory the Great. I could go on for hours about purgatory, folks. This place, uh, people today, believe it or not, still believe in a place called purgatory. If you would think that Catholic masses are being said for the dead people, even to this day, even to this very hour, think over the centuries now, they say there's approximately 1 billion Roman Catholics in the world today. I don't know how accurate it is, but trust me, over the centuries there have been billions of Roman Catholics. Think of how many people have purchased mass cards, donated money for a mass card, however you want to say it. I, it doesn't matter. Praying for their dead relatives to get out of a place called purgatory. No way to be found in the scriptures. My, oh my. 600 A.D., prayers began to be offered to Mary, dead saints and angels. 788, veneration of the cross, images and relics authorized. Oh, we could go on and on. 995, canonization of dead saints, first by Pope John the 15th. 11th century, the Mass developed gradually as the sacrifice attendance was made obligatory. 1079 AD, the celibacy of the priesthood was decreed. Now, these are all man-made traditions, by the way. I must remind you of that. Now, think of this one, folks, the celibacy of the priesthood all the way back in 1079. But you want to find something interesting. Peter, who they claimed to be the first pope, he was married. 
Folks, this is why it's important to dig into the Word of God for yourself. Peter was married. No reason why uh, the Catholic priest should remain unmarried. Let me quote to you Matthew 8, 14 and 15. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. That's Matthew 8, 14 and 15. So Peter was married, his wife was sick, Jesus came and healed her. It's an awesome miracle, but the point I make here, folks, study the word for yourself and come out of the traditions of men. Follow the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, if you've never been born again, the true way. I'm not talking being baptized as a little infant as I was. I was baptized as a little infant. A priest sprinkled water on my head. Of course, I don't remember it. I was only an infant. But I can assure you that I was not born again until many years later at the age of 36. Born again of the Spirit. That's the real biblical way to be born again, folks. Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to the dates, 1090 AD, the rosary or prayer beads copied from Hindus or Mohammedans was introduced by Peter the Hermit. 1184, watch this, the Inquisition of Heretics instituted by the Council of Verona. And Keith has a, a footnote built into this Bible tract at the bottom. Um, and this is what it says, he defines the word Inquisition. It's the act of inquiring into a matter, an investigation, and that's from the American Heritage uh, Dictionary. And it goes on to say in his footnote, Lucius III decreed that bishops should take action against heretics. A characteristic of this decree was that a suspect, once convicted of being a heretic, was, be, was to be handed over to the secular arm for punishment. Before the Inquisition ran its course, historians estimate that 5 to 15 million people, let me repeat that, 5 to 15 million people lost their lives through torture and execution. And that's from a history of Christianity in the world by Clyde L. Manschreck. So, you know, stop and meditate on that uh, a little bit. D d these historians estimate between 5 and 15 million people were tortured and put to death by the Church of Rome. And they did this in the name of religion, folks. They did this in the name of Christ. Oh, yes, they did. They were killing people who did not agree with the counterfeit teachings. Now... Uh, that figure I gave you, 5 to 15 million people, I've heard uh, figures that are even much larger than that. I've heard into the hundreds of millions, folks. Obviously, I can't prove it, but the point I make is, folks, that people were killing other people because they disagreed with their doctrine. Can you imagine this? Mind-blowing. And the point I make is that the system that did those wicked things teaches the same things today that they did back then. And, and when you see this counterfeit unity going forward at, and, and the speed, the momentum that it is picking up with pastors remaining silent. Oh boy. Lord have mercy is all I can say. 1215 A.D., the Inquisition legalized by the Fourth Lateran 
Council. So this was made legal, this type of inquisition. I'm not sure the year they, they, where they actually called it the Office of the Inquisition. And by the way, they don't call it that today, uh, but it has to do with the uh, congregation of, of the faith. Basically, that office has just changed names, just like the Roman Catholic Church has changed colors, uh, but, but inside they're the same. Okay, 1190, the seal of indulgences. 12th century, the seven sacraments defined by Peter Lombard. 1215, the dogma of transubstantiation was decreed by Pope Innocent III. That's the teaching that the priest can take the wine and the bread and change it into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. When they receive what is known as the Roman Catholic Eucharist, folks, they believe that that is Jesus Christ in that wafer. That's exactly what they believe. You dare to say otherwise, you are put under one of their over 100 curses, folks. And I'm happy to say today, and I thank God today that I'm under one of their curses because I don't believe that. Lord have mercy. I believe that Jesus Christ paid the price in full. He did it once. End of story. Rose and the dead. I serve the risen Savior. Hallelujah. So, uh, on and on these things, confession to a priest uh, at least once a year by Pope Innocent III, that was in 1215. 1220, the adoration of the wafer by Pope Honorius III. 1251, a scapula invented by Simon Stock of England. Uh, 1439, the doctrine of purgatory proclaimed the dogma by the Council of Florence. 1545, tradition is declared of equal authority with the Bible by the Council of Trent. Biggie. I'll read the next one. 1546, the apocryphal books were added to the Bible by the Council of Trent. Now, the Council of Trent, look what they did, folks. The Council of Trent was a response to the Protestant Reformation. People were coming out of the Church of Rome. They were getting saved. They were becoming truly born of the Spirit. What happened in plain English? Rome went ballistic against those people. That's when you saw major murders taking place, folks. People being tortured, people being burnt at the stake simply because they did not believe what they were teaching. So here they come up with the Council of Trent, and now you have their uh, tradition, their man-made tradition being declared equal of equal authority to the Bible. Folks, that should be enough for you to say sayonara, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, time to leave, time to go. Absolutely, folks. The apocryphal books, added books to the Bible. 1854, Biggie. The Immaculate Conception of Mary was proclaimed by Pope Pius IX. What is that? The Immaculate Conception says Mary had no sin. That teaches that Mary was conceived without sin. I want to assure you there's only one person, folks, that's been conceived without sin. His name is Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost came upon this Jewish Virgin Mary. Glory to God. He had no sin. The only person. Absolutely. 1870, another biggie. Infallibility of the Pope in matters of faith and morals. 1931, Pope Pius XI reaffirmed the doctrine that Mary is the mother of God. If Mary is the mother of God, that would make her a deity, folks. Mary is the Jewish virgin who brought forth Jesus into the world. But Mary herself was a sinner. In fact, after Jesus came forth, born into this world, Mary had normal 
relations, sexual relations with Joseph. The Church of Rome teaches no, that didn't happen, but the Bible makes it clear that's what took place. I'm not going to get into that whole thing now. I could go on for uh, quite a while if I start doing that. 1950, the dogma of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary proclaimed by Pope Pius XII. So the Assumption, what is that? People say, well, let's say Mary, you know, was assumed up into heaven, you know, and they, they even went off, you know, people wanted to know, well, did she die first or didn't she die? And, and there, were all, there were even disagreements on that. But basically, you know what's taking place, folks? These are uh, demonic imitations of what Jesus did. Do you see that? When you, when you see the sinlessness of Mary being preached, it's a demonic imitation of the sinlessness of Christ. When you see the assumption of Mary, it's a demonic imitation of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. So that's the way the devil works. So uh, these traditions, folks, it's, uh, the main point, uh, uh, what the devil wants to do is take your eyes off of Christ and him alone. You know, as a Roman Catholic, we would, we would pray, we would go to Jesus, we'd go through Mary. And that's what you see, this present Pope, like all the previous Popes that I know, heavy-duty Mary worship. If you remember Pope John Paul II, what did he have sewn inside his papal garments? A, a, a saying, totus tu assum Maria. What does it mean? Mary, I am totally yours. That's right. So we're talking serious, serious business. Now, Pope Paul expressed his distress because of what some of the, quote, separated brethren say about the Pope as the stumbling block in the way of church unity. Do not some of them say that if it were not for the primacy of the Pope, the reunion of the separated churches with the Catholic Church would be easy? We beg the separated brethren to consider the inconsistency of this position. Not only in that, without the Pope, the Catholic Church would no longer be Catholic, but also because without the supreme, decisive pastoral office of Peter, the unity of the Church of Christ would utterly collapse. Now, by the way, this is still, this is from that guy Lorraine Boltner from his book. So, uh, basically what Pope Paul was saying, well, don't, don't these separated brethren, those are the people that are not Roman Catholic, by the way, those are Christians, and he refers to them as separated brethren. Uh, you know, they're not part of the true church. So he says, don't they understand if we don't have Peter, uh, that the church would collapse? So uh, Mr. Lorraine Boltner goes on to say, we must say that at this point we agree with the Pope, at least to this extent, that if the Roman church were reformed according to Scripture, it would have to be abandoned. But the gross errors concerning salvation still remain. Moreover, the council did nothing toward removing the more than 100 anathemas or curses pronounced by the Council of Trent on the Protestant churches and beliefs. If there is to be any true unity, surely this would seem the logical place to start. So that's from the, the book Roman Catholicism by Lorraine Bautner. And what he's trying to say is, look, you know, if the Church of Rome were truly reformed, you know, according to the scriptures, then, then they'd have to abandon the whole church. I, I like the way he puts that, because it's the truth. 
And he goes on to talk about the council, speaking of Vatican II, that they did nothing to remove the 100 anathemas or curses pronounced by the Council of Trent on the Protestant churches and their beliefs. So he says if there's going to be any true unity, that would be the logical place to start, folks. Now, you know, most people have no idea, folks, that these things are even within the teachings of Rome. You know, the Council of Trent, they, they think it's, oh, this is something from the Middle Ages. Oh, this is something that's not uh, real for today. That's old hat and so on. That's why, I, let me give you a quote here from, from Vatican II. Uh, which will settle that. This is right from Vatican II. Uh, it says this, This sacred council accepts loyally the venerable faith of our ancestors in the living communion which exists between us and our brothers who are in the glory of heaven or who are yet being purified after death. And it proposes again the decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea, of the Council of Florence, and of the Council of Trent. So that's from Vatican II, Volume 1, Costello Publishing Company, from Northport, New York. I mean, right from their own mouth, folks. It says, we propose again the decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea, of the Council of Florence, and of the Council of Trent. So basically what they're saying is we're not changing anything. We still are saying those decrees are in effect today. Keep in mind, within that Council of Trent are over 100 anathemas, 100 curses against true Christians who disagree with their counterfeit teachings, such as the sacrifice of the Mass, that, that it's not what they say it is. They disagree with transubstantiation. They disagree that it's a propitiatory sacrifice. If you dare to say that, you're under a curse. Folks, this is what they teach. So, you know, and, and here we are in this modern day. You say, well, what, what are they saying today? Well, it's interesting. In an April 30th podcast uh, done by uh, New York City's Cardinal Timothy Dolan, who, by the way, will be working hand-in-hand -hand with the Pope when he comes into town, he will be in New York, and this man will be right there, right by his side, Cardinal Dolan. So uh, on this podcast, uh, Cardinal Dolan... He described, you know, it had to do with the Council of Trent, and he, did, it, and, and he described that council as a response to the challenges of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. And he described it as an amazingly effective council. So here, one of the main leaders working hand-in-hand -hand with the Pope, a cardinal, folks, he's saying it was an amazingly effective council. Council. And you can find this uh, Catholic Cardinal, folks, in unity with uh, people all over the place, especially in New York City. One of the men by the name of Pastor A.R. Bernard, he's a very well-known uh, pastor from the Christian Cultural Center over there in Brooklyn. I believe he took his church even uh, one day uh, over to St. Patrick's Cathedral, to uh, Cardinal Dolan's church. They are in unity. He is the president, as far as I know, of the... Um, the, the churches, what do they call that? The Council of Churches or something like that for the New York City area, folks. It's, it's, 
It's unbelievable what you see taking place, this unity. So you see they work hand in hand. Uh, you'll see Cardinal Dolan even with uh, Muslim leaders and so on. What you have taken place, folks, is a false unity. It is getting downright scary when you think about it. This, this unity that's building. And you know, I've spoken before uh, about the many, many evangelicals, folks, in the... Um, in the world today, who have uh, joined hands with Rome. You know, I've mentioned many times Billy Graham and how he works hand in hand with Rome. He's been doing it for decades. They have uh, Roman Catholic uh, people working as counselors at his crusades. That's been going on for decades. Trust me, uh, it's the truth. They send them back. If, if, if a person comes with a card and they say, I go to St. Mary's Church or whatever, that's the church they get sent back to. If they were Roman Catholic, I kid you not, they go right back to that same church. And that's been going on for years, ladies and gentlemen. I remember uh, reading a book, it had a picture of uh, Billy Graham receiving something from a, a Roman Catholic institution, and some type of uh, thing was being put around his neck. And, and basically, Billy Graham says the gospel that they preach is the same gospel that I believe in. Well, <laughs> we realized we got problems. Uh, Louis Palau is another one from. Um, South America. Uh, he works with Rome in, in uh, 2007. Uh, his organization, they sought out Rome and they, they wanted them to work with him when he did his crusade there. And they worked a deal. I believe they were even holding, uh, I think the Catholic Church wanted to have uh, confessions right there and they allowed that as far as I know. Oh yes, that took place. And, and you could see, you turn on your television, you'll see James Robeson. He's working hand in hand with Rome. He's been over there uh, slapping high fives with Pope Francis. Uh, you have... Um, Who's that other man, that faith teacher, Kenneth Copeland? He did a video thing with the Pope. Folks, it's everywhere. Hear me now. Hear me now. Be careful, folks. When you see this coming, don't fall for it. I'm telling you, be careful. Now, uh, let me close it out here. This is uh, the end of the tract, and this is how Keith ended this tract. Remember, the name of the tract is called What Did Vatican II Really Change? And he, and he ends the track by saying, we could not find a more fitting conclusion than Dr. Botner. And he's the man who wrote that book, Roman Catholicism. This is what Dr. Botner said. The Constitution on the Church makes it abundantly clear that Rome has no intention of revising any of her basic doctrines, but only of updating her methods and techniques for more efficient administration and to present a more attractive appearance. This is designed to make it easier for the Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, and Protestant churches to return to her fold. There is no indication that she has any intentions of entering into genuine give-and-take church unity negotiations. Her purpose is not union, but absorption. Now, I highlighted that word absorption for a reason. I'll read that uh, line again. Her purpose is not union, but absorption. Church unity with Rome is strictly a one-way street. The age-old danger that Protestantism has faced from the Roman Church has not diminished. In fact, it may well have increased. For through this less offensive posture and a superficial 
ecumenism, Rome is much better situated to carry out her program of eliminating opposition and moving into a position of world dominance. An infallible church simply cannot repent. Wow. So folks, that's how the tract ends. And you've heard it, you know, it's a review number four. I've given you four different reviews of Keith Green's four Roman Catholic Chronicles. They were written for such a time as this. If ever there was a prophetic word for the hour in which we are living in, Mr. Keith Green brought forth that word. This word is not received very well, folks. And keep in mind, Jesus Christ was not received by most of the people. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. You heard the truth here. Keith Green did those tracts. He compared the scriptures with the teachings of Rome, and that's why he did that expose. I encourage you to watch those videos more than once if you can. Uh, folks, I, I, I watch things, I read things over and over and over and over again, and I find things that you thought you knew, they will jump out at you in a different way, and you'll say, wow, I never even understood how deep this whole false system is. And I, uh, as I said, folks, I am a former Roman Catholic, and I even said to my wife the other day, uh, all these years later, I am still amazed at the teachings and the wickedness uh, of these false doctrines. And I'm amazed at how the church, what we call the church, you know, we live in a day, you'll, you'll hear the word revival uh, used so often. You know, people will say, we're going to have a revival this week. I, I say to you folks, get, get, get with the program here. You speak out on these things. Warn your people as this thing is really uh, taking off here, folks. This is serious business. When you can allow a man to march into this country from a system that put people to death by the millions, and you can stand by and do nothing and never utter a word from your pulpit, there's something wrong. That's not revival, that's apostasy, folks. That's apostasy. And I'm going to end it right there. Uh, I encourage you, listen to these videos. Look at the other videos I brought up, folks. You will see, and you know it's true, I always open the Word of God comparing it to the false teachings. It is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth that brought me out. That's what brought me out, folks. You know, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What was it that the devil said? Did God really say that? Does he really mean that? And people will, will do that even in this day. You need to dig into the Word of God. You need to say, here, this is what Rome teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. I choose the Word of God. I choose to follow the Lord. I'm going to end it there. Once again, be blessed in the Lord Jesus Christ.